0: All Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DealMaker Show. So today we're going to be learning a lot about legal, a lot about legal tech, and then also a lot about building, scaling, and financing companies with our guests. So I guess without further ado, Brian Liu, welcome to the show today.
1: Well, thank you, Alejandro. Thank you for having me on.
0: So originally from Taiwan, you were five years old when you moved with your parents to the U.S. So you guys were going after the American dream.
1: That's correct. Uh, we came here on a boat. We were uh, just my parents decided to uproot the whole family. We didn't know what was happening. Uh, one day I was in Taiwan and I was happy in preschool, and the next thing you know, I I was in the U.S. I didn't I didn't know anything what was going on at the time. <laughs> really cool, really cool. So, what got you into law? Uh, I was like a lot of people, kind of confused as to what I was going to do with my life after college. And I was just trying to pursue my education and and prolong the choice of you know making a decision for as long as possible. So I went to law school because I figured, hey, with, with a degree in law, I could end up doing anything. I can go into business, I could I could be a lawyer, but I had a lot of opportunities and I didn't have to make a decision. It was procrastination.
0: Got it, got it. Really interesting. And then you graduated and you went into Sullivan and Cromwell, which uh, funny enough, is the same firm that Peter Theo. Um, worked for. And then also, I believe is the wife of George Clooney.
1: Right. I saw <laughs> that just the other day. I couldn't believe it that <laughs> that uh, we were, I guess, more sort of an alumni. Yes. So you were doing their IPOs
0: and M&A type of work?
1: Absolutely. I was working there and I remember specifically one day coming back after a meeting in uh, San Jose at Wilson Sonsini's office, working on a big IPO. And I I was thinking, God, I'm miserable. You know, I'm Alejandro, I'm 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 hating this job. And I remember driving in my car on the way back from the airport and I'm like, I hate this car because I'm working like this job I hate just so I can have this car. And I, I thought, this is not what I went to law school for.
0: Right. I mean, I I can I can relate a little bit to that because look, I I was pushing paper behind a desk as well. You know, as an attorney in New York city, crazy hours. So, um, so most definitely. So I guess then, then what happened, you know, when, when, when you had that moment, you know, in the car, like what happened then?
1: You know, I felt so disconnected when you're working with some of these really giant, you know, multi-billion dollar companies and it seems prestigious, but I really enjoyed working with smaller clients, and I loved working with you know the smallest firm, uh, solid, the smallest client at our firm, and the friends and family who would come and ask for help. So we looked at that time uh, what was happening, and this was 1999. Everything that was happening on the internet, everything was being taken online, being automated, from online tax returns to travel to stock trading, and then we thought. Why can't we do this for law? And so came up with this idea for LegalZoom. And lo and behold, 18 years later, it's still around. And it. it's now the number one. I think it's got 75% name recognition in the U.S. right now.
0: Got it. Got it. So, so then what was the founding theme of LegalZoom? Like, OK, so you were pointing to, you were starting to see that everything, it was being brought online, but all of a sudden, I mean you started incubating this idea. Who were the people that you were discussing with and what was that process from being a lawyer to finally being an entrepreneur? Because that is a very uh, complicated transition right there.
1: Yeah, it is a very difficult transition. The good thing is that even when I went to law school, I I didn't think I was going to be a lawyer forever. And one of my best friends now today, my co-founder, Brian Lee, He was somebody I met in the first day of law school, and I think the reason we got along so well was because we looked at each other and we said, what are you doing here in law school? You don't seem like you're the type who's going to be here. And he said the same thing about me. So we were great friends, and we ended up starting LegalZoom together. And when we went out to try to raise money, I'll tell you, it was difficult because every person, every finance person, looked at us and said you guys are lawyers what do you know about running a business and so my our very first uh, meeting with a venture capital person was i remember the day the nasdaq crashed april 14 2000 and it was a family friend we knocked on his door after i think it was probably about four or five pm and he looked at us at the office and he said brian what are you doing here?" I said, I called him uncle at that time, uncle, Danny, we, we've made this meeting. We've had this, you know, set up for, you know, almost a month. And I had a whole deck. I've been practicing. I had everything ready. And he looked at me and said, you know, Brian, it's over. Don't you understand? It's over. And so we, Brian Lee and I looked at each other and said, well, now what, you know, we could still beg and get our jobs back because we had given notice already but we could probably get our jobs back go back to the law firm and we did what any sensible startup entrepreneurs would do we went to Benny Hanna's, which is right across the street we had some beer and had some tepanyaki <laughs> and said you know <laughs> what, what should we do that's yeah. it and that's we decided amazing. yeah we decided right there that we were going to continue pursuing this because We believed in the cons, not just the business. We didn't just believe in the hype and the story. We knew that there was a real business that people would pay money for based on our experiences, based on all the friends and family and everybody else who came to us looking for the exact same things that we were going to offer online at LegalZoom. So we knew that there was demand and a real business, something people would pay money for. And And that's what got us through, honestly, for the first few years, because we launched at maybe the worst time possible for, for any business Uh, at that time for an internet company. It was almost like saying that I'm starting a real estate, you know, company in the year 2008. And given the fact that,
0: and given the fact here, Brian, that, that the two of you were lawyers, I mean, you had the legal background. Did you find like some challenges with the fact that you guys were not engineers or, or product people?
1: (laughs) Because it was a legal product, we thought we understood it. We understood what the clients were looking for. Um, The hardest part, as I said, was that we didn't understand technology, but very, uh, very fortunate for us, we met a key was able to essentially program our whole site and really give us help and direction on that side.
0: So then then what did the prototype look like?
1: I still have the original sketches uh, not just the sketches, but the wireframes for the company. it's it's still hung up on my wall. and it's it's remar- the, the style has changed. Uh, of course, the design has changed. The colors have not changed though. <laughs> uh, and it's it's still, obviously as, as 18 years later, it's a little different, but the core of what the company is, we had it figured out at that time. In fact, I just went back and looked at our original business plan in um, March of 2000. That was when it was written that the the iteration at that time. And I can't believe how much of what we said was going to happen actually came true.
0: So when you guys gave your, your notice at the firms, did you already have like the idea clear the business plan or or did you just give your notice and and figure out later
1: we um we had a business plan already we gave notice and one of the reasons we were able to get the confidence to give notice was because we had recruited robert shapiro to be on board at that time i think without him it would have been tough for us as two young lawyers and one technologist and we, you know, we were giving up our jobs. We were giving up everything that we worked for. The good thing is we, we were young and we could always ask for those jobs back. Um, I think it would have been a lot harder if we would have waited even a month so that after the stock market crashed, when we realized we would never raise a lot of money, it would have been tougher. But so we were lucky that we made the decision probably two weeks before everything crashed.
0: Got it. So then. So then let's fast forward here. So you were having a drink, you know, after that, that little event with, uh, with, with, with Uncle Denny, I think you mentioned. And, yes. and basically what happened is that you and Brian decide that you guys are going to keep going. So what were some of those early days like and what were some of the challenges that you were encountering?
1: Oh, the challenges were staggering. Number one, no money. We were living on our, our savings. Uh, we were working out of his apartment. We, what we did manage to do was we got a lot of first-year law students at UCLA that first summer to work for us for free. And they didn't know that the stock market collapsed, so we promised them stock options, and uh, they worked for them because they didn't have any other jobs anyway. <laughs> and so we had five interns essentially doing work for us. And we went and decided to build the site, coded ourselves. We pretty much did everything from scratch.
0: I was just going to ask Brian, I mean, doing everything from scratch. I know that it took you guys a bit to raise the series A. So then, mm-hmm. so then what was the, um, what was the experience like? Because it seems that you guys bootstrapped the business for the most part. Is that right?
1: We did. And it got to the point where we raised a total of three hundred and thirty three. Thousand five hundred dollars in our Series A, and the five hundred was the funniest story because we were so desperate. Uh, we were so desperate prior to the time of launch. Everybody had promised, oh yeah, twenty thousand, thirty thousand. It seemed like everybody was more than happy to want to contribute money. But then, of course, stock market crashes. Everybody's like, ah, oh, I'm sorry, I can't afford. It. I can't afford it. And we were so desperate that the person who originally wanted to put in, let's say, you know, fifteen thousand, twenty thousand said, all I can afford is five hundred. Said, done, I'll take it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. That's unbelievable. So so what were what do you think was happening there? Like for example, with with these people that you were putting the the product in front of them. I mean, why were not, you know, why were they not like biting and saying, Hey, I love this thing, I'm in, count me in and let's let's do this transaction, the.
1: I I think there's always going to be a there's going to be a lot of hesitation with anybody who hasn't had a lot of business experience and I didn't I was you know I was I was not a business person I was a lawyer an attorney at the time and I've been business like I've had little side jobs that we've done since high school but nobody would say that oh, yes, this was going to be the next billion-dollar idea at the time. And they didn't understand law. That was the other problem. They didn't understand the legal industry. I think it's, you know, Warren Buffett always says, invest in something that you know. And yeah. law is not something that most people know and can understand.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I guess the... um from like the the concept itself and and the idea. I mean, you were talking about having the the, the business plan already and 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 how you guys were going to tackle the market. So, what was essentially the the business model, the the idea that you guys you know really set on, and and how you guys were anticipating to make money?
1: Our business model was simple. We were gonna uh, we were going to create do- legal documents and charge people for it, and. Believe it or not, it was kind of actually revolutionary at the time because the um, paradigm was to give out services for free and hope that you get tons and tons, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of users and eventually monetize them. And because we had to bootstrap everything from the start, we didn't, we, we needed money and cash flow from the very start. So, for example, a last will and testament, we charged $59 for it incorporation services it was a hundred dollars plus filing fees and we would do those things you know not as a lawyer but as a essentially as a online automated service and then we'd do the administrative filings and and make you know make money off the services
0: really interesting and one of the things that that i always hear is that there's two things where you don't want to cut corners one is in lawyers and the other one is in doctors so i guess the and look i'm a a lawyer as well so and Mm -hmm. and i also do agree that there is a lot of disruption that needs to be made in 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 Mm -hmm. law because you know they charge you like uh, for breathing you know the for the hours (laughs) and just for grabbing a template and changing a couple of things you know they're 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 like at 900 bucks an hour it's insane especially in in new york city so what oh, was what, what, did you guys like encounter certain skepticism of? Uh, no, you need a lawyer to do this, and you can't automate this thing. Or, or what were some of the reactions?
1: Absolutely, of course. The legal community under the legal community and certain lawyers would always say that you know trying to do uh, trying to make a will on your own is like having open heart surgery. They would say they would exaggerate a little bit. I think. <laughs> right. uh, To me, it was like more like, no, let's say you've got a cough, you know, and you go and buy cough medicine at the CVS pharmacy. That's more what it was like, because there's so many different levels, as you know, Um, our philosophy had always been if you're starting up a business on your own and you've only got a limited amount of cash to make this business work, you don't want to spend as much as possible on actually growing your business. And the, concept of the just the process of filing a LLC is pretty straightforward. It's an administrative filing with the state. And it doesn't take a lot of you know, true legal knowledge and specialization to get that done. It's, it's tedious, but it's not legally difficult. Now, there are obviously different situations. And there can be complications but for the most part what most people are looking for is something very plain vanilla and you can always amend you can always change things in the future but just getting that that business set up correctly at the very beginning it's a you know it's pretty hard to actually mess it up
0: so then so then you were getting this skepticism from from lawyers and and I wonder as well from from customers. I mean, one of the other perhaps um, issues was that you were actually educating them on, on, on what value you could bring to them because legal tech again, you know, is kind of like, um, an industry that hasn't been, you know, legal disrupted for the most part. So what were some of the strategies that you guys used in order to, to kickstart, you know, growth, you know, and, and onboard, you know, those customers in.
1: So we knew that, what was really important is that people needed to trust us. And so they needed to trust the company. They needed to trust the people behind it, which is why Robert Shapiro was really important. And even though, well, Brian and I went to UCLA, we worked at good law firms. I was at Sullivan Cromwell. He was at NARPS, But most people didn't know those firms. So we had to go out and build an advisory board of other famous lawyers, of judges, and we, we had to go out and almost do like a Pepsi challenge, if you can remember that, where professors would look at the legal Zoom documents and, and something drafted by a lawyer. And they would go and say, well, you know, what's the difference between the two? He said, I, I can't tell. They're the same to me. <laughs> because I'll, I'll tell you one, 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 funny, one funny story is that uh, our incorporation, some of the templates— I think you'll find that there was some similarity to maybe the templates that might've been created at large law firms. Let's just say, because these, these templates are pretty straightforward. The documents are pretty straightforward and they were, you know, let's say I borrowed some of them from our law firm.
0: A hundred percent. And, and also, you know, from the, um, you know, for the people that are listening as well, Robert Shapiro, I mean, you, you've been talking about Robert Shapiro, you know, part of the founding team as well. So he was in the dream team that was defending O.J. Simpson. So obviously here is one of the, you know, most popular lawyers in, in the U.S., you know, especially, you know, during this time. Would you say that um, that, that really helped you guys to, to kind of like kickstart building that trust that you're talking about with customers?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It was really important because people recognized who he was and they understood that he was he was a litigator. He worked uh, criminal cases, but they knew him to be a good attorney and that built trust in that, you know, the documents, whatever we had would work. And the other thing we came up with was this idea of a fifty thousand dollar peace of mind guarantee, which was, you know, it was a great guarantee, I think. Let's just say for an LLC document, we guaranteed that if whatever reason, you know, that your LLC failed you or it was deemed not to be done like set up properly, we would give you fifty thousand dollars back. That was our guarantee. Got and it. Nobody's ta- nobody's taken up on it. No, that's never happened. It's it's we've never had to pay that guarantee out.
0: And and also, were you guys like um, you know talking about guarantees and? And potential, you know, negative outcomes. Were you guys like worried? Hey, we're, we're disrupting here or something illegal and, and, you know, perhaps worried about getting lawsuits or, or stuff like that?
1: We definitely had our fair share of run-ins with the state bar associations. There were uh, a lo- decent number of fights with various states, but we've worked through all of them. And uh, when it came down to actually a fight, we've won them all. So it, because... The reason is what we were doing is true. It might it might be seen as disruptive by some lawyers, but the truth is it wasn't. Legal Zoom wasn't practicing law illegally. And the most important thing was that there was a huge benefit to the consumer, to small business owners, to consumers, to families. It was just an overwhelming benefit, and lawyers weren't doing this work anyway. That's the other thing, Alejandro, you know, you're a lawyer. Most lawyers, it didn't make sense for them to, you know, to pick up a pencil unless if you're, you've got like a $5,000 retainer. They're not going to draft a simple will for $50. It's just not going to happen. They're not even going to do a simple incorporation for $100, $150. You know, they're going to want thousands of dollars. And so these people were... They didn't want to use a lawyer. I mean, the amount of people who are doing things without a lawyer back then was—it's it, huge. It's still—I don't think it's changed. We were addressing a different market, not people who are using lawyers, but people who weren't.
0: Makes total sense. And obviously, you—you you were talking about this. You guys were bootstrapping, and—and uh, and we know that not only entrepreneurship is—it's not such thing as a straight line. I mean, you have the ups and downs, but. But the fact that you guys had the additional challenge of having to finance this and God knows credit cards or whatever that was to to get the money to 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 finance the operation. I mean, I'm sure that the dark days were very dark. So what were some of those dark moments that you had to encounter?
1: Ooh, eating Top Ramen for five straight days. That's pretty tough with Domino's (laughs) Pizza. Domino's Pizza was our uh, treat at the end of the week.
0: So, so I guess uh, you know, obviously a, a tough one. And look, I, I've been there. You go from having your lawyer salary to um, you know, and eating in really nice restaurants to yeah. with your own secretary bringing you water or whatever that is. <laughs> to, to all of a sudden, you know, you, you are dealing with with just you know you having to do everything and 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 eating Domino and ramen, as as you were saying, which is it's really tough. But I guess the yeah. um the is there like one moment where you thought. I think this is going to go down the toilet. And it was a very dark period. And, and, and I'd like to hear what was the, 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 the breakthrough moment out of that, out of that breakdown.
1: So I think our darkest moment, remember we, we didn't start at a great time, but the darkest moment had to be September 11th, 2011, I mean, 2001, because that was pretty much about a year and a half in. And boy, I mean, talk about dark. We were just starting, we were getting going. It seemed like things were on the up and up, and then it felt like the whole world was gonna end. And we didn't know, nobody knew what was gonna happen. You know, the business world stopped for an entire week. Nobody could do anything, and we didn't know what was gonna happen. That was really dark, Um, it was confusing, Nobody knew what was going on, and uh, you know, there was no way to predict the future from that time.
0: But what was, the, what, was, what was basically this causing to you guys? Was it that customers were not showing up as they used to? Was it that, what, like, what was the challenge or the impact that this had for, for the business?
1: The, the actual impact, it, when all was said and done at the end, we we took some we took some charitable steps to offer services for free that's one thing we did um we came up with a game plan for how we were going to you know reintegrate and help rebuild and we took some of those you know offered discounts to help people rebuild uh free services for people who are affected and it was just really at that time it was another time when we really had to hunker down and say boy, this is, this is going to be a lot tougher than we thought it was going to be at the start. You know, When we started Alejandro, the reason we quit our jobs was because we thought it was going to be easy to raise millions of dollars at the very beginning. At, at that time, in the early 2000s, I mean, I have friends who raised $5 million here off all sorts of different crazy business ideas. And we thought, boy, with a legal business with Robert Shapiro, we were sure it was going to be easy for us. We are already talked to these advertising agencies and they were trying to convince us to do full page ads in the Wall Street Journal and spend 200 grand doing it saying that's, that's the way you launch and we're like, yeah, that's right. That's right. And boy, just to have setback after setback. And then, as I said, you know, you, you talked about kind of the other challenges and uh, other tough things we had to face. Not only the top ramen was okay, what was tough was going back and visiting your friends and family, especially family and you know every single family dinner when I went back up to Seattle turned into a pitch dinner my I asked my dad to invite his friends for dinner, and they turned into pitch sessions and I, I was, you know it was like i oh, I felt bad because I had to put them in that situation and but they were. They were so nice, they were so loyal, and it really helped. I mean, they really helped me out.
0: So then what was the turning point for you guys, Ryan?
1: The turning point was one Friday afternoon, about six o'clock, I was going to dinner. And at that time, we, you know, right before we left the office or even remotely from home, we could take a look at how many you know, orders we were getting. And all of a sudden, this one Friday night, you know, we started getting these orders. And it was like, you know, a couple would come in, a few more, a few more, a few more. And by the time the night was over, there was like 10, 10 orders on a Friday night. And this is still early, you know. We're like, boy, if people are essentially ordering legal documents on a Friday night, we're on to something. You know, we are definitely on to something because this is so important for them that they're not doing this on the weekend. They're not doing during daytime. This is a Friday night. And so that's when we knew that there was something to it.
0: So then, so then tell us about, for example, like how did you ended up capitalizing the business? Because I see that right now, I mean, you guys have raised like about 800 something million for the business, you know, and that obviously is secondary and and, you know, you have some venture in there, but, but what was the, how was the company capitalized and what were some of the expectations and milestones that,
1: that had to be met? Well, uh, initially I think like a lot of companies, we, because we were bootstrapped, we never really got a lot of, let's just say true capital to spend and to deficit spend. We were always, you know, spending whatever we made and we never went into the red too much. So the first few rounds were from friends and family, uh, private investors, and then uh, we had one round where we worked with a local venture capital firm and was two million dollars. And from then on, all the other investors were it was their recapitalizations, and they were um, essentially it was additional equity. And some of our original investors were paid out. So we, the whole company, was built on really i'm going to say about a million dollars of primary capital. Wow. Yeah.
0: Very, very interesting. And and i guess the um you know for you i mean you you've been involved with with legal zoom for 19 years from you know co-founding mm-hmm. and being the ceo to then you know becoming a board member and 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 being more involved at a strategic level uh, up mm-hmm. until recently up until 2018 so so how was it for you to um you know to give up the the ceo um, you know, reins of the business of your baby.
1: It was tough. It was really tough. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm on to this new business called biz council, which is, I I missed it. Uh, When you're the CEO, you have got a vision for where the company should be. And I've got a personality where it's a strong personality where I have strong opinions, where I, I believe that things should be one particular way and it should be done like this. And, uh, And sometimes when people have different visions and then you bring on new investors and everybody has different opinions, you know, I, I'm one of those guys where I think my vision and my drive is really, I think, most useful at the start of a business. I think I'm pretty good when the company becomes more mature, but especially at the beginning, that's, that's really my passion. You know, my passion is starting new things. It's it's implementing a vision. It's it's getting the team involved. Everybody driving towards something. That's that's what I love doing.
0: Because then you were um, you became a board a member, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and I guess like what was that transition like? I mean, it, was it now like as a board member, like who were you being? Who was Brian to be effective and to continue to push this venture? And and was it hard to let it go? You know, to the CEO title uh, it
1: wasn't hard to, It wasn't hard to let go of the CEO title. I'll tell you the truth, Alejandro. Was, what was hard was that you you say and you think that you're going to have more. You know, it, it, it's different when you're CEO. You're calling the shots, and other people are responding to you. Now you're more like an advisor. I, I'd say, if anything, not quite the same. But uh, I was just watching Game of Thrones, so I'm thinking you're more like the hand. Of the king or hand of the queen, right? (laughs) (laughs) As opposed to being the king or queen.
0: Got it. Got it. Got it. Really cool. And in LegalZoom, so I mean, LegalZoom is um, you know it's now this monster company, one of the leaders in legal tech. So how Mm -hmm. big is is LegalZoom today for the people that are listening to get an idea?
1: It's pretty big. I, I can't disclose all the information about it, but we've got. Now, there's it's over a thousand employees with offices in Los Angeles and in London and in Austin. And it's, uh, you know, it's doing quite well. That's amazing.
0: And what does it feel like when when you look back and now you see this company, you know what it is today?
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. It really felt like, you know, the kid, my kid has grown up and it's still doing great. And I still want to usher it in with as many, you know, positive feelings, and I hope it does, continues to do well, and I'm sure it will. That's amazing.
0: So then let's talk about shifting gears, you know, for you and, and going at it again, right counsel. So at what point do you tell yourself, it's time for me to say goodbye to my kid and to give birth to a new (laughs) kid?
1: Well, so earlier we talked about how, you know, there, there were times when we knew that there's things that were pretty straightforward that you could do without a lawyer it was more document related and things like simple incorporations or wills because the decisions aren't legal who you want to leave things to. It's, it, it's your own personal decisions, but especially in business, we realize that there's times when you really do need a lawyer. And you need something a little bit more complex than just a simple incorporation or getting your tax ID number. You need a custom agreement drafted. You need you know, contracts reviewed. You need people to read a document and say, hey, is, is, are there any gotchas in here? Is it okay? Is it safe if I sign this? And so we realized that the same problems that people had before in terms of not able to uh, not being able to afford an attorney or not wanting to pay you know five hundred dollars an hour or more for an attorney that's the same thing that's happening now with small business owners you know small business owners who've been in business for three to five years or even longer a lot of them the majority of them don't have a lawyer that they rely on they instead are doing what you know, other other people do they kind of go on google they try to do their own research they download documents and hope it works and you know the reality is it's it's not that simple And you need the help and there's no solution out there and so that's why we came up with this idea for biz counsel it it's filling a similar type of gap um, where people need legal services they need real lawyers but there's really nothing out there that addresses that need. And that's, that's why we, we started Biz council. That's why I started it. And, and it's also because, as I said, it's, I, I think, you know, I, I've just got a passion for not just legal innovation, but just a passion for coming up with these visions and, and helping people you know, fill fill in the gaps. You know, because small business owners, I, I, I'll tell you one thing I've been, From the very beginning, I've been very enthusiastic and very much of a supporter of small businesses and entrepreneurs. And now these are the guys who have all the, you know, the toughest road to travel. Seems like all the, you know, the cards are stacked against them. And I want to level the playing field. I want to make it easier for people to achieve that American dream. I want to, you know, we always talk about how small businesses are the backbone of, the American economy, but they're also the ones who are getting screwed the most. So I want to make it more fair and more even for all businesses to succeed.
0: So how how do you guys uh, do that with What is What is the business model?
1: So the business model here is instead of relying on a transaction, Every single time you need something happen, you know, you hire an attorney, they're going to charge you $5,000 for a retainer and then four to $500 an hour. We're doing things on a subscription model. So you pay a monthly subscription, you get a basic level of service where you can talk to the attorney without being on, you know, a very expensive taxi meter or, you know, paying for them to breathe. And then you can get a basic level of service you they're always available to you they can review contracts and when you need real work they'll do it at a discount and so it's building this relationship with an attorney where they you know, instead of the attorney always thinking I need to go and find just a few big clients who are going to spend twenty thousand dollars you know each year, I could have relationships with more business owners they may not need all the help. Sometimes you know the the preventative help and the preventative advice is much more important because you avoid the problems along the way. And that's going to be beneficial for the lawyer and it's beneficial for the business owner.
0: And did you guys raise any money for for this business, Brian?
1: We did. We raised some private funds and we also, um, I self-funded a lot of it as well because I, I read one of your articles, Alejandro, and I and I really do believe this is when when you're launching, you need to spend all of your time devoted to just this business. And, you know, I feel felt that this way by self-funding and just getting some private investments, we were able to devote all of our time on just thinking and worrying about the business and and on nothing else.
0: So I guess uh, who, who did you convince to join you this time around?
1: I've got um, Robert Shapiro's back involved. I'm almost nice. gone, getting the old team together. And I've got our original uh, vice president of marketing from LegalZoom.
0: Very cool. And, and Brian Lee, I see he's also an advisor. But, man, Brian Lee also, what a, what a career. Shoe Dazzle and then also the Honest Company.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Really cool. Really cool. So how, how big is the team
1: now? We've got a little over 10 people in a Los Angeles office. Uh, we have uh, some uh, we have worked with attorneys throughout the country and it's growing rapidly. So then so then
0: one thing that I wanted to ask you here is um, why do you think that legal tech has not been disrupted as much as other industries?
1: Oh, boy, it's. I think it has to do with the education of how lawyers, you know, how lawyers are trained. I think that two things. One, lawyers are trained to follow precedent. So they're not trained in innovation. You know, you always hear about things about the Supreme Court, and they're arguing, well, what do they mean in 1776, you know? And so you don't think in terms of innovation. That's number one. Number two, everything traditionally has been done by the hour. So there has been no economic incentive. To become more efficient and to do something different and better, we're utilizing technology at Biz Council because we believe that and and trying to abolish the hourly rate as much as possible because we think that that is such an impediment to progress. You know, you just don't have any incentive, and with the technology that's happening and that's available, people the lawyers can be three times more efficient than they were years ago. But, you know, they're still charging the same and they still are not serving more people. There's just more and more people who can't afford them and they're not being utilized as much as they should. And there's this really great study that came out from Cleo. The average attorney in small business for serve small business owners, they work and they are paid on one and a half hours per day. That's it. One and a half hours. If we can increase their utilization rate, increase their efficiency by five hundred percent, so that they're working a full day, you know, we can lower the price. We can service so many more people. We can really get to this ideal where, you know, the bar associations talk about access, access to law, access to justice. We can reach that. You know, we can reach that. If we just utilize all of the inefficiencies that technology has to offer, and we think about new ways of doing things,
0: so do you think we're we're far away from being in a world where? Because you were pointing to it, I mean, it's a, it's absolutely true that that lawyers at the end of the day, what they're doing is going back in time, you know, with case law and seeing, you know, what other cases you know they could interpret to whatever they're dealing with. So the question here is, do you think? that with artificial intelligence and machine learning, we're going to be very close to a world in which most of the work done by attorneys is going to be automated?
1: I think that what will happen is that you still need attorneys and a lot of the routine work will be automated or it will be done in a much more efficient way. So in the same way that LegalZoom kind of took over and automated a lot of Pretty routine legal documents and processes. Machine learning AI will do the same for basic contract reviews. But I have to believe that just like you know automated driving, full true automated driving is going to be a lot longer of a project than people anticipated. Really, true one hundred percent you know machine learning on contract reviews and everything else will take a little longer as well. But I think that it will definitely be a giant, giant leap forward.
0: So then I guess, where do you think the legal tech space is, is, is heading as a whole?
1: It's about innovation. And I see a lot of younger lawyers coming through, and they've got very unique new ways of looking at things. I think that's... That's what's, you know, this generation of lawyers in their, you know, late 20s, early 30s, they don't have the same way of thinking that some of the older lawyers do. And, and that's you know, maybe they didn't learn all the, the, the precedents as well as school, but that's great, you know, because they're analyzing things from a different perspective and they're asking the question, why? Why is it like this? And how can we make this better?
0: So I guess uh, for the people that are listening, I mean, I remember. Uh, especially during the early days, where you know, I just wanted to make sure that we had everything right and all of that. We were spending uh, an enormous amount of money on on lawyers. And now looking back, you know, there's so many stuff, so much stuff that we could have been able to to cut, you know, and and, and be able to orient to maybe product or or something more uh, urgent. So I guess, what kind of tips would you give to folks that are listening as they're thinking about mm-hmm. you know a budget allocation towards legal stuff?
1: Yeah, I think. As a business owner, what you realize is that the business owners and lawyers think very differently. Lawyers are trying to protect against that 1%, you know, that 1% chance that something terrible could happen. Business owners say, you know what, give me 99% certainty and I'm really happy. And so what ends up happening is that the base agreement, the pace deal can get done very quickly and the business owner is happy. But the lawyer isn't yet. And the last, it's not even the last mile, it's the last couple hundred feet, it's where you're going to spend half of your lawyer legal fees. And so as a business owner, you have to realize and understand that's the way lawyers are. And you kind of have to take control of the situation sometime and say at the very end, hey, look, this is close enough, this is good enough, we don't want you to spend more time at this, and we understand the risks. We understand the risks and I'm comfortable with that risk because this is the key word you have to say to them. This is a business decision. And once a lawyer hears those words, they say, oh, okay, as long as you understand this is a business decision, okay, it's off my hands. So lawyers need to be controlled. They really do. And it's I think it's incumbent upon business people to understand a little bit about that, about the way they work. So, and this is not just about lawyers. I think it's with anybody you work with. You kind of have to know how to manage them. And if you don't manage lawyers correctly, uh, it's it's a 2 to 3x difference in terms of what that bill ends up being.
0: Oh, I hear you. You know, I hate when when I'm exchanging emails with lawyers, you know, they're probably listening so they're going to be pissed and they tell me, "Hey, Hey, why don't we get? Why don't we get on the phone to discuss this? And I'm like, there's nothing to discuss on the phone. <laughs> you know, just get it done, you know. So, uh, so I get it. So, so Brian, I guess in, um, you know, just to close the gap here on on Biz Council, in a world where the vision is fully realized, what does that world look like with Biz Council making it happen?
1: What I see is that Biz Council is essentially going to be the largest service, legal service for small business owners in America. I really see us creating a platform where attorneys and uh, clients interact in an entirely different way. And we're really creating something that's changing the paradigm of how, you know, small business owners and lawyers really, you know, really how they interact and how, their, how services are done. You know, the whole legal interaction and changing it in a way that's fundamentally different but better for both sides. It's, it's a sorely needed service. It's a sorely needed problem that needs to be addressed. And as I said, you know, large companies can afford lawyers. They can afford spending money on lawyers. And when you're a small business owner, you are at an information disadvantage. You're at a negotiating disadvantage if you don't have access to a lawyer who can really help you through some of these more difficult cases and some of the more difficult situations. You know, even small business owners have to abide by the same employment laws as large companies. They can get sued in the same way. But without those resources, you're at a disadvantage. And that's what we're really trying to address here. We want to try to level the playing field for small business owners. And we really believe that we have the opportunity to fundamentally alter you know, the way that landscape is, is drawn.
0: Really cool. And one of the questions that I always ask the guests that we have on the show is knowing what you know now. I mean, you've you've (laughs) been at it, you know, for a while. You've built massive monster companies. I guess the um, the question that I like to ask you is if you had the opportunity to speak with your younger self, with uh, that Brian that was still an attorney, Mm -hmm. an attorney at Sullivan and Cromwell, ready Mm -hmm. to make that leap of faith and to launch his own Hmm. business. If you could go back in time and talk to that younger self, what would be one piece of advice that you would give to yourself and why?
1: Mm, That's a good one. I like that one. I'd say be confident. Be confident that you've got what it takes. And I I think that's really that, that, that's, you know, I, I realized that I probably waited a little bit too long in terms of making that jump I knew it from the start. Uh, I felt like I had to get the three years in law, you know, and, and the firm in. Then I worked one year at, as an in house attorney. And the whole time, I, I have to say, I, I started believing a lot of what other people were telling me. It's like, you're a lawyer. How can you do this? And how, do, how can you, you know, run a business? You don't know anything about that. And I would go back and say, you know what? You know who you are better than other people. Listen to yourself and trust yourself.
0: I love it. You know, it's like living things for tomorrow and that tomorrow never comes, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, Brian, yeah. so
0: for the, for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi?
1: Well, if they want to reach out, uh, my uh, com. you can look me up on the website. It's just www.bizcouncil.com and uh, you can call the general number or you can send me a, a message through there.
0: Amazing. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker show today.
1: Thank you, Alejandro. It was great speaking with you.
0: If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business,